This Film at Lincoln Center podcast episode is presented by the New York Indian Film Festival, back for another year. North America's longest-running and most prestigious Indian film festival, NYIFF, will stream online from May 7th to 14th. Awards Night will be hosted in person at Village East by Angelica in New York City on May 14th at 4.30pm and onwards, which will include the screening of The Beatles and India. Visit online.nyiff.us for tickets and passes. Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a Q&A from the 51st New Director's New Films with Audrey Diwan and Ana Maria Vertolome, the director and lead of Happening, the opening night film, moderated by Museum of Modern Art programmer Josh Siegel. Winner of the Venice International Film Festival's prestigious Golden Lion, Audrey Diwan's exceptionally well-observed breakthrough is an unsparing, gripping portrait of a young woman's attempts to secure an illegal abortion in 1960s France. A student of ambition and promise, hoping to leave her small town and embark on a professional life of the mind, Anne Duchesne, played by Anna Maria Vertolome in a brave, overwhelming performance, finds her entire future thrown into doubt upon discovering that she is pregnant. Sure to be one of the most talked about films of the year, Happening, based on the semi-autobiographical novel by the acclaimed author Annie Ernoux, is a drama that incrementally builds in power showing the step-by-step process by which an ordinary young woman attempts to establish her freedom and ownership of her body. Happening will open in theaters this Friday. Remember, it's the first screening in the United States, so I hear you uploading and it gets directly there. Thank you. And that was a warm and sincere applause. I know the difference. So, um, but I almost feel like I should give all of you a moment to just catch your breath because it's an intense film to sit through and then to suddenly have a normal conversation about it um, can't be easy. Um, Let's start off with something simple to talk a little bit about how you found each other. Uh, Quite fast and easily, I would say. Um, I, I work with the same casting director for a few years and I, t- I told her what I expected from the actress and I had in mind that the actress would be the movie because I knew already at the beginning while looking for her that she would be every shot, every moment of the movie. And so I asked the casting director to find an actress who first would not be impressed by the, the grammar of the f- movie because the DP and the crew was there all the time, that close. So you have to be able to still be in your acting and I don't think it's easy. And then um, I also wanted some, someone who can give lots of emotion uh, with a very subtle way of acting because a very small smile on this screen while being there, it's a huge smile. So someone who would be overplaying, I'm not sure of the word, but um, would make the movie be, be unwatchable. And, and then 
Um, we're talking about the young Annie Arnaud somehow, so someone who is strongly related to words, studying literature. And so I was looking for my intellectual partner, someone who really understands the text, the words, someone I can talk with about words and share that. And, and then she walked in the room, and I must tell you that she interviewed me. <laughs> And so she walked in the room and she said, I, I, I understand that in that sequence I will have to be naked, but I would love to hear from your voice why I should do it. <laughs> and I was like, with a kind of an inner smile, like, I believe she's already, I know. <laughs> and what was so satisfying about her answer that you agreed to do it? <laughs> she loves Good to question. be naked. Yeah. Uh, well, I, what I really loved about um, this first um, casting audition was that, you know, it, it wasn't a classic actual um, casting audition. It was more like a working session. We approached three key scenes of the movie. One, <clears throat> sorry, one when uh, she, the doctor tells her that she's pregnant. One when she looks at her body and she sees it changing. And one, you know, a seduction scene. And I really liked as you know, an, a first casting edition to just be able to express that many things and to have her next to me guiding me and directing me. And it was like, yeah, very easy. And I, I you know, I went, I, when I finished the edition, I called my agent and I was like, I think there will be a callback for this one. Because <laughs> it, like, it was very, very nice. And I, I felt even if it doesn't work, I really had a great time exercising and working with a great and very demanding director, so, yeah. Well, one thing I should mention, in case you don't know, is that uh, Maria won the César and also uh, pre prizes I in did. Lumiere in Dublin. <laughs> but one of the, one of the paradoxes of of your performance, it seems to me, is that you have to have developed an incredible amount of trust with each other and a, a level of comfort to play someone who is so uncomfortable the entire time, right? Who's, who's faced with very adult decisions that no child should ever have to make. No woman should ever have to make, but no child as well. So. How did you build this trust with each other and how did that actually come about on the set where you actually, as you said, have cameras literally in your face, a crew constantly on top of you? I think it all started with someone we, something we could have not uh, imagined because the, the, the shooting was postponed because of COVID. And of course, first of all, we were both disappointed. And then we figure out what, that time would be. And so we were apart from each other, but we were talking maybe one day on two, exchanging references, books, films, and I mean both sides. Um, so we talked about Rosetta, we talked about Fish Tank, Vagabond Girl. from Agnes Varda, Girl from Lucas Don't, Elephant from Gus Van Sand, many very different movies, but we created a common language. And and this is something I won't forget because, you know, it, it regularly happened that a writer-filmmaker spent a lot of time creating a character and then 
in the final part of that long journey, the actors jump in. But it also means that the actors and the filmmakers are not in the, at the same level of knowledge talking about the character. When we arrived on set, we both know Anne. And, and we built the character through the body. And I really wanted to try to say, tell the story through the body. And um, we talked a lot about how, how she looks at the world, where her shoulder would be, how she sat on the ground. And uh, when, when Anna Maria arrived on set, and that was very important, we knew how the character would move. So talking about space on the set, we already have added and done something very important regarding to the character, I guess. So what was the language you used to describe how she would move? A soldier. A soldier. Yeah. It's interesting, given the Victor Hugo quote at the end of the film, right? It's, you know, this almost preparing for battle. Um, a soldier, interesting. Because I think what's interesting for me also is that the first thing you radiate to me is intelligence. Um, and a leader, sense of leadership, right? In the first scene of the film, she's the leader, right? She's the one who's trying to convince everyone to be sexy, to show their bodies, right, with each other. Um, like, um, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. So I, I told you earlier, I couldn't wait to hear what question pops up. And this one never occurred or happened. So yes, of course, it's the way she wants to be leading something one day, but at first we're talking about her life and she tries to be the leader of her fate. She's actually leading an inner war. And I think that this is, isn't only about illegal abortion. She, this is just an, a moment and an obstacle in her life that she has to go through to, you know, became the better version of the woman she actually became and to be able, when at the end of the movie she says, I want to be a writer, I want to write, I think that she's able to say it because she has been through this experience. And she grew up so much as a woman after that. So talk a little bit about the book. I know it's a very slender, the book, What's Annie Erno's book, it's a very slender book of about 95 pages. I have a one line I wanted to read to you because I thought it was kind of interesting, but say a little bit about what drew you to the to the book in the first place. I, I come from literature. Um, this is my first love. I was a publisher at my very early age. So um, I read a lot of Aniana's book. And after having an abortion myself, I wanted to, to find a book, a text, something that I can read and help me think about it. And I couldn't find it, so at first, my first move was, maybe I'm gonna write something, maybe I'm gonna write a book about it. And on that way, a friend of mine advised me to read Happening. And I was amazed, like there is a book of Anyanu on illegal abortion, and I don't know about it. And then I've met, when I met Anyanu, she explained it to me. She said, from all my books, it's the only one the journalists weren't pleased to write about. It was quite a silent publishing. And it was 2000, very early 2000. So, so yes, when I, um, I've, I've discovered the book, and first I was shocked by my lack of knowledge regarding to what is an illegal abortion. And then I started in my mind comparing 
my experience, medicalized abortion and illegal abortion. And I can say that the first thing, and maybe that's when and how it started, uh, the first major difference I've noticed and kept in mind is that medicalized abortion is going through a kind of a routine. Everything can always happen, of course, but there is some kind of a routine. Whereas a woman going on, on that journey um, depends on random. And I thought it was a crazy idea, like who you're going to meet. Is that person going to help you or turn, or turn you to the police? Are you going to die, end up in jail or in a hospital? I mean, everything is random. And uh, at first I was thinking this random, this suspense is unbearable. She was talking about um, the lack of knowledge she had on that subject. And when I first read the book, I also you know, felt very angry against my ignorance towards the subject that is so taboo and shrouded in silence. And I think that this anger really fed me and I kind of wanted to, you know, portray this woman with, in the fairest way I could. And I think that this helped me to create this determination and ambition she, she, she has. And to also just give justice and defend all the survivors and all the women that has been, have been through this and still go through this because nowadays it's still actual. I mean, one of the ways it seems to me you film bodies and one of the lines I wanted to read just from the book which seemed to be evoked in the film is, is the very matter-of-factness of it all. The very, it's a very blunt, um, sober portrait. You could have taken it, obviously, in many tonal directions, right? It could have been very overwrought, as you said. It could have been very um, compassionate. But in a way, it's very uh, cerebral. It's very thoughtful. Um, in the sense that, let me read you the line. Um, so in the line in the book, she says, it became a shapeless entity growing inside me which had to be destroyed at all costs. This is the sentence okay. we, we, we had in mind. No, no, it's, it's funny because it's the sentence that I had in mind all the time, but I have only the bad translation I've made myself. So it's the first time that I hear You're this sentence correctly. <laughs> correctly said in English. <laughs> yeah. And but I don't, cerebral is probably the wrong word for it, but it's, it's, there's a sense of detachment and sense of observing yourself going through the process even as you're experiencing it. And I wondered, is that a, an accurate way of describing the book and what you were trying to bring to the film? I think it's, it's, it's nearly an horror, uh, a horror movie sentence, you know, body horror movie. Like, there is something inside you and you don't even understand what's going on. And we have to realize that we're talking about a time where there, are, there is no internet, so you're not allowed to talk about it, and there is no way a few books that says not much about it, so you don't even know what's going on in your body. Uh, and I think it's a body fighting against himself and fighting against time. So... That was a shift in my way of understanding the topic and thinking on how I would like to portray that in a very simple and essential way. Because, come on, if you adapt Annie Arno, I don't know how many of you have read Annie Arno, but she really, she's essentializing everything. You go to essential or you just say silent. So, of course, taking that text and making a movie 
that would be like over emotional would be a betrayal of the original book. And when you love Anya, no, the last thing you want to do is like take a book, adapt it, and betray it. We see the fetus at the same moment you see the fetus. And was there ever any doubt that you were gonna sh that you were gonna show that scene in no. that way? No, no, but it's interesting because we've been asked that a lot. I mean, come on. I always compare this movie to World War II movies. Have you ever heard about any filmmaker who hesitated on showing a dead body on the battlefield? Oh. Okay, let, let's not go that way, but still, you know, I mean, those questions are very precise questions that we get when we talk about illegal abortion. Then I had no doubt because, first of all, when Aniano tells us about her abortion, she doesn't look away. So again, there is no way I'm gonna make a movie and do otherwise. But then I was trying to be that young woman and to be in her eyes. So the only thing that I had to do, it's not ask myself moral questions, but try to be her. So I know there are things I don't wanna see. I know that I will still have a glimpse of it because I can't help myself but watch. So the only job that I have is to find the right lens, not look at it in a provocative way and stay focused, but just try to figure out what the exact lens when you want to, you don't want to see, but you're still looking at it. So we did several shots just in order to find the right lens. And that was it. There was no debate. And, and, and I was hopefully working with producers that do understand that journey and I don't recall any debate on that topics, neither. I think what in... I think what, I think what interested me about the shot was not its existence, but the fact that we see at the moment you see that it's, there's, this, there's this shared experience at that precise moment, that when she looks down, we look down. And so there's this, there's this incredible sense of empathy or a sense of, of um, investment that takes place, it seems to me. It's not the, it's not the shock of seeing the fetus. I don't, that's not my point. I mean, it's not the, the Kronenberg moment. It's just that there is a sense of really trying to understand, as you said, you're, you said your experience of an abortion was very different, of course, than the experience of a woman in 1963. And it was 12 years, I think, before it was even legalized in France um, after that. So the question, I guess, is you know, trying to, to get in the mind of someone who had to experience that at the time when they were utterly alone with no one to support them. I mean, okay, being a woman is facing those kind of things still. I mean, not exactly the same way, but you probably know that if you get an abortion, and I'm not going to say it's the same level of pain, but you will have to face things. And the only similarity I can actually hold on to tell the story is that lots of things have changed, but you are still silent. And so I can project myself in that experience because the only thing that I know and keep in mind is that nowadays it's still not easy to talk about it and what you can have in common 
when you are in a country when it's legalized and in, in a country it's not legal, is that you feel unsettled if you have to talk about it. And it's so true that I worked on that topic for three years and I was on my way to Venice to the press conference still asking myself whether I would say or not that I, I actually discovered the book after having an abortion myself. So I work against silence. I mean, even so, I love lots of things in the book and I've never intended only to make a, a story about illegal abortion because I strongly believe that the movie is about freedom in general. It's about her wanting to have a sexual freedom, intellectual freedom, going from one class, social class, to another. But still, when we are talking about abortion, in any ways, you feel that you are not supposed to say it aloud. So I have that in mind, and making the movie, I felt it. That I would have to fight against my own feelings, my social shame, something I was raised in, and it's against my will, but I still have this in my body. So even if it's not the same experience, there are things you can relate to in order to be fair, in order not to go uh, to be in any kind of artificial way to do it, but really to stay in your track and try to only say what you think it's fair. One of the things that struck me watching it again today was the references to existentialism that are throughout the film. And it occurred to me that it's a very, uh, you know, can a woman in 1963 ever truly have an existential experience if she's denied the ability to make choices of her own? And it relates to the question you had of freedom, that it's a very male-dominated philosophy. I actually am thankful because we talked earlier and I said question that never popped up before. And uh, choosing the books, she's a literature student, so choosing the books she would be studying was a question because I went to Agnardo as she was reading some version of the text. I said to her, do you believe we should put the book that were important to you in the movie or the book that, constru that construct my mind? And she said, put your, put your own books. And actually it works because the books I loved drove me to Agnardo's books. So we were going same direction to try to figure out what can change a young woman's mind and, and build it in a way she will not be the same after reading the book. So there are two things that build your mind, her mind in the movie. It's what she's going through, what's happening, and the books. So yes, it's obviously related. Say one thing about the look of the film. I mean, there's a, there's, there are a lot of blues, um, and there's a kind of undertone of blues throughout it, and then as well as reds, but also your use of handheld camera work. There's a one moment that I love when you're, uh, you are uh, ashamed to admit to the teacher that you're not paying attention, and that camera moves in a way that almost looks like you're barely keeping your head above water, like you're about to drown. It's a beautiful shot. But you know, it's, it's, you really see things because it became chaotic. Like, chaotic? I, yeah, a what do you bit. Mean? I mean, I, I asked the DP, Laurent Tangy, at the beginning of the film, nobody was supposed to mention he's even here. Like, he was her. 
And at this moment, I wanted him to be a bit more chaotic because we can feel through the camera that our inner world is shaking. So, so yes, and talking about colors, I must say that when you make a movie, you don't depend on yourself only. It's a work team, a crew, the, 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 the work of the crew. And there is a guy in charge of colors at the end. And, and when you think about a story taking place in, in the 60s, even if you try hard, sometimes you make mistakes. So it wasn't exactly the colors that I've chosen on set. And the guy in charge of the color, his name is Yov Moore, at the end said, you want the, 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 the film to be alive? And I was like, yes, more than everything. And I want to feel the skin, and when she's sweating, I want to feel it. And he said, okay, so let's try something a bit more brutal. And I was like, okay. And it was the end of the process. It was actually nearly the end of the movie. And he changed the colors. And I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> this is red and blue. And he was like, yeah. Gaspar Noé movie. And... And so, you know, for a minute, because you're used to the old colors, you're shocked. But, uh, but he, was, he was right. I mean, it's even more alive. And the first idea that I had in mind reading the book was, what if I could have a cam recorder in the 60s and follow that girl? And, and then he showed me this anachronic suit and the, the virtue of this anachronical suit. And, and he was right. We, I think, have time for maybe two questions. Two questions. Um, and if we're going to have a mic passed around so that everyone can hear you. Hi. Uh, congratulations. I just Thank have you. a question. Of, will you be showing this film elsewhere in the country? Like, oh, I have like uh, places like Texas or Florida. <laughs> <laughs> If we go there, please come with us. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 we, we are going to San Francisco. There is a film festival, Los Angeles and then Atlanta. But I don't know, you know, we're willing to show it more and more. And if we have to go back, come back, we will with great pleasure because you know, you're not only making movies in order to show it to people who do agree with you. So it happens through the process of the films, and we've been in many countries that we show the movie to people, to people that were against abortion. And I tell you something, we got to chat after the movie, and it was fascinating and very passionate and very important because we found a way to talk. And those discussions, not just being against each other, because that is not going to change anything, but discuss. What are your questions when you see that level of, su of suffering? Do you accept it or not? Do you knew, did you knew that this was the, the, the common journey of girls going through illegal abortion? So yes, we have to go in places where people don't agree with us. And, and we had in the past, and I'm sure we will in the, the very nearest future, <laughs> but I'll tell you. Um, do you have permission to show the movie in the United States? Do you what? At permission, present, it's being released in theaters on May sixth. Yeah. So you have all the approvals, etc. I'm not sure who yeah. we would need approval from, but 
Okay, the rest of my Everything's questions... Everything's been signed. Kind of <laughs> How about signed. another one last question? Oh, hey, thank you. Okay. Um, hi. Love the movie. Um, you spoke in the beginning about how it's relevant today, what you were showing in the movie. I noticed that other than a payphone and the music, this movie, I could have been watching a girl in 1980 or 2000 or 2020, and how purposeful was that to not show too much of 1963? Um, I was very, not scared, but I really wanted to avoid the period piece. The first reason is that usually period pieces come with nostalgia and you can't help it. You like the clothes, you like the setup, and I have no nostalgia to that period of time, especially regarding women's rights. And then I really wanted to focus on what was essential, uh, her and her body. So that's one of many reasons why I picked this special frame, uh, which I think is a very narrative frame. And uh, yeah, it puts the body and the woman in the middle of the image. And I think that was the hidden um, message. Why don't we put the woman in the middle of the picture? I just wanna wanna end with one thing, which is that, you know, we're all holding our breath about the elections in two days in France and about the world in general. But we are living in very strange times because I had the great pleasure of celebrating when you won the golden line with you in Venice. And in the time since then, I was look I was noting Mexico, Colombia, Ecuador, and Argentina, which are all powerfully Catholic and evangelical countries, have either decriminalized or improved access to abortion. Yeah. So we are living we in a very strange time. We have to mention that also. Time. I'm sorry? We need to mention that also. Yes. Yeah, it's a very strange time, no. Yeah, yeah but at least it's happening. <laughs> so, this is a perfect way to end this, to begin the festival, but also end the Q&A. But I really want to thank both of you so much for sharing your feedback. Thank you all. Thank you all. Film at Lincoln Center podcast episode is presented by the New York Indian Film Festival, back for another year. North America's longest-running and most prestigious Indian film festival, NYIFF, will stream online from May 7th to 14th. Awards Night will be hosted in person at Village East by Angelica in New York City on May 14th at 4.30 p.m. and onwards, which will include the screening of The Beatles and India. Visit online.nyiff.us for tickets and passes.